the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. For these next four sessions, I'm taking a brief break from our current series called, Oh, That Verse Means That to bring a topic that in my spirit I feel compelled to share with you all. In our COVID and post-COVID world, it's been quite easy to lose focus on just what we should be pursuing as followers of Jesus Christ. So I'm calling this mini four-part interlude, Reassessing Our Pursuits, because I believe it's spiritually healthy to periodically take a sober or realistic look at what drives us as Christians. So today's session, part one, is called, Are Our Pursuits Aligned with Scripture? While pondering this topic, I thought about a significant event that occurred in America on July 4th, 1776. Perhaps this date rings a bell for you, too. It was the signing of our Declaration of Independence. And one of the most often quoted statements in this foundational document is, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Friends, I'm sure you noticed that our modern society is literally obsessed with the pursuit of happiness, both at the expense of more important things in life and by discarding a long-held moral compass. Well, this spurred my curiosity to investigate just what the Bible has to say about our pursuits in life, and I was amazed to discover that it has some significant things to say about our pursuits. At first, I was drawn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, where the Apostle Paul says to young Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, But you, Timothy, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. You want to know what that all this is, friends? Because it's spelled out for us in the first 11 verses of chapter 6, which include conceit 
verbal controversies, sick craving for control, envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, friction, pursuit of riches, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, the love of money which some have longed for and wandered away from the faith, piercing themselves with many griefs. Wow, really makes you want to join that church, doesn't it? Ah, but those behaviors don't characterize our churches in today's world, do they? Well, continuing to ponder this topic, friends, provided the springboard for me to consider two particular people in the Old Testament, Joseph and Moses. What stood out for me in Joseph's life was the period when he rose to prominence and success in Egypt, and particularly the scrape he got into with Potiphar's wife, who looked at him with bedroom eyes. This incident is recorded in Genesis chapter 39, and I'd just like to highlight a few pivotal verses between verses 7 and 15. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But Joseph refused and told her, in part, My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now the text goes on to tell us that she kept taunting him day after day, but Joseph refused her relentless advances and fled from her. With regard to Moses, what I found especially interesting was what is said about him by the New Testament writer of the letter of Hebrews. In Hebrews 11, Moses' life is pretty much summed up in two sentences. Chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Wow! Imagine having that inscribed on your tombstone for everyone to read. Onlookers would certainly get a mouthful as to what your life was like, right? Then in Hebrews 11, verse 26, the text supplies us with a sort of summary statement. He, Moses, regarded disgrace for the sake of Messiah as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Well, friends, during my investigation, I readily discovered that nowhere is the theme of our pursuits in life more powerfully expressed than in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Did you happen to notice the repetition of I press on? Some other ways this may be said is I keep on running, I keep striving, or I continue trying to reach it, or even I keep working toward. Friends, each of these more modern language translations attempt to capture the sense of pursue, which is the literal translation here. So we begin to see that the biblical understanding of pursuit or pressing on carries with it the idea that this pursuit is a passionate endeavor. 
In classical Greek literature, this word pictures an animal pursuing a prey, like a hound dog on the trail of a fox, pursuing it all day long. The spiritual parallel and application for us in the 21st century is that there's a lifelong pursuit in front of us. We are to press on, run after, seek after, even go so far as persecute. Yes, friends, this is part of the meaning of the word too, but persecute in the good sense of being passionate, relentless, and full of zeal. So our spiritual pursuit is to be done with eagerness and diligence with the goal of obtaining what we pursue. Friends, we should adopt Philippians chapter 3, verse 14 as our personal pursuit passage, maybe even making it our life verse. Clearly, Scripture does not leave us the option of pursuing our Christian life like lone rangers. It's not just me and Jesus, nor is it just a personal pursuit. There are no lone ranger Christians in the body of Christ. Because Scripture addresses us as a body of believers, a community, in Hebrews 10, 22 through 25, we find, let us repeated four times, let us draw near to God with sincere heart in full assurance of our faith. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess without wavering. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together, as is the habit of some. Let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. By the way, friends, consider here carries the meanings of contemplate, look closely, be observant. The phrase spur one another on also means stimulate, or as the King James translators chose, provoke. These are strong English words and are appropriate here. So, friends, this is how the scriptures urge us to behave with one another. Don't we owe this to our brothers and sisters? Shouldn't we be observant for ways we might provoke or spur one another on to love and good deeds? So then this becomes our corporate pursuit. What deeply disturbs me, friends, is when I observe the lives of many Christians today and see that they're goalless Christians. In other words, they're not pressing on toward the mark of the upward call, as we saw in Philippians 3. Friends, our scriptures clearly reveal that God has goals for us to adopt. He has pursuits for us to be moving toward. Sadly, friends, I've noticed two extremes that are prevalent in the church today. First, God does everything, and therefore we don't have to do anything. Second, we do everything. Sure, God starts us off, but then we say to him, Okay, God, I'll take it from here. Actually, the secret of the Christian life boils down to this simple yet profound truth. So listen carefully. The Christian life is a divine human cooperation with the goal or pursuit being Christ-likeness. The Apostle Paul makes this clear in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, when he tells us, We are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. And this divine human cooperation theme appears again in Paul's words in Colossians 1.29, I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And the cool thing, friends, is that this word striving is where we get our English word agonize. This certainly puts an interesting spin on this verse, doesn't it? I labor, agonizing according to 
his power, which mightily works within me. This is not a works relationship with God. Everything we do is through God's grace and power made available and afforded to us by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. I think, friends, that perhaps a critical question we might want to ask ourselves is, am I appropriating or taking hold of this power that's available to me? Now, I'm here to assure you that this will protect us from guilt trips, especially for those of us who may be particularly self-conscious or sensitive. Some of us, when we hear the emphasis on the human dimension of the Christian life, striving, pressing on, etc., we immediately feel guilty, don't we? Come on, be honest. Don't tell me you haven't thought to yourself, oh no, another thing I have to do. Maybe even right now you're reflecting back on some New Year's resolutions you made and which now are defunct. Maybe you started 2022 out well, but now, nine months later, you've lost your steam. Another thing to feel guilty about, right? How easy is this for us to forget the divine dimension? So let me repeat, everything we do is through God's grace and power made available and afforded to us by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, this goal or pursuit of Christ-likeness is manifested by many pursuits that occur over the course of time in our Christian walk as we grow and are led by the Holy Spirit and his various ordained teachers and influencers in the body of Christ. One of these pursuits is wisdom. Proverbs chapter 4 tells us to get or acquire wisdom. And what's meant here is gaining it, owning it, even buying it if necessary, and recovering it if lost. Interestingly enough, friends, the pursuit of wisdom is ultimately the pursuit of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 reminds us that Christ became to us wisdom from God. Another pursuit is love. Earlier I read Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Remember? Well, again in 1 Corinthians 14.1, the apostle specifically commands us to pursue love. And curiously enough, friends, pursuing love is ultimately pursuing Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, we're reminded that it's the love of Christ that controls us or constrains us, as some translations say. And let me just remind us all of something I've shared previously in these broadcasts. Scripture defines love for us, doesn't it? We're not left to define it on our own. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter instructs us to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Friends, please allow me to take the concise route to defining love. Agape love, that is. This is the kind of love that should characterize us and form the foundation for all that we do. When we distill agape love down in the Bible, we discover that, first, agape love is giving love. In other words, it doesn't give people what they deserve. It gives people what they need. Second, agape love is deliberate love. In other words, it operates by our will, not by our feelings. Third, agape love is benevolent love. In other words, it is self-sacrificing and committed. Fourth, agape love is not prejudicial love. In other words, it doesn't show partiality, 
favoritism or is discriminating. Fifth, agape love is unconditional love. And sixth, agape love is love in action. In other words, it is love that acts to meet the needs of others. I hope we're all beginning to see that pursuing this kind of love is a lifelong pursuit, isn't it? One of my favorite traditional hymns is, When I Survey. Verse 2 says, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ, my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Friends, there are certainly plenty of vain things out there in the world seeking to charm us, aren't there? But as Christ followers, we should be periodically reassessing our pursuits. Perhaps a few questions might help guide us. Do we have our minds set on what we are to be pressing on towards? Do we have a goal for our spiritual life and development? Are we goal-centered Christians? In other words, do we have our pursuits in order? My wife and I are sci-fi buffs, particularly space science fiction, and especially the Star Trek genre. I recall an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation called Hollow Pursuits. This title was a play on words, a play on the word hollow. If you're not Star Trek savvy, you'll need to know that the Starship Enterprise has hollow decks, as in holograms, where the crew may be entertained or challenge themselves in this specially technologically equipped room. In this episode, one crew member was a very nervous guy. He stuttered, was socially awkward, especially with his superior officers. So the hollow deck was the perfect getaway. Here he reenacted his own reality where he'd be in control of every situation. This way he could retreat from the real world, program the hollow deck, and live under his own reality for a while. Hence the title hollow pursuits. But friends, as Christ followers, we don't have to fall prey to hollow pursuits, do we? Scripture certainly provides plenty for us, like 1 Timothy 6.11. But you, Timothy, man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. While I was exploring this topic of pursuits, the combination of pursuing and fleeing kept cropping up. Take 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach not resentful. Now there's a list to be working on, right? Pursuing? How about 1 Peter 3, 10 and 11? Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongues from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Or Hebrews 12:14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless. Hmm... I've never seen this verse on a plaque or framed and hanging on a wall in a friend's home. How about Romans fourteen nineteen? Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. 
This last phrase could be worded, pursue building up one another. Then there's Romans 12, 13, pursue hospitality, not just in our homes, friends, but in that throughout our churches, the body of Christ. Friends, what's fascinating here is that these pursue passages are in the continuous tense and written as commands. We're commanded to pursue these things all the time. Wow! And these passages are contrasted with a provocative statement made by James in James chapter 1 verse 11. The rich in the midst of their pursuits will fade away. Perhaps the scriptures are trying to help us see the difference between hollow pursuits and holy pursuits. Now, friends, please don't think that if we're not rich, we're off the hook. Just take a moment and read all of James chapter 1. His point is both rich and poor need wisdom to live, wisdom to discern what's best to pursue. Both rich and poor will eventually die. You see, the subtle question asked between the lines of chapter 1 is, since all of us are going to die, in the midst of what pursuits will we be found? Well, Scripture really helps us to choose our pursuits wisely by showing us what opposites to flee. We're to flee controversies, strife, disputes, envy, abusive language, suspicion, selfish desires for riches, youthful lusts, immorality, and idolatry. Brothers and sisters, this list can seem overwhelming, can it? But I believe the intent of Scripture is to enlighten us, Christ followers, that the Christian life is a delicate balance between pursuing and fleeing. Good opportunities, friends, will always present themselves, and bad ones will assault us with a vengeance. Our responses can generally be broken down to what ones we pursue or what ones we flee. So perhaps the ultimate question before us might be, how do we wish to be found in our pursuits? Imagine what might be learned, friends, if a slice was taken out of our lives and scrutinized to reveal our pursuits. Would our calendar tell the true story of our lives? Would our checkbook reveal our priorities? I think back to the decade of the 1970s and an influential and well-loved Christian musician, Keith Green. He pursued evangelism and discipleship with a passion, and in the midst of his pursuits, he was taken unexpectedly and tragically in a plane crash. Back then, we had a clock radio alarm that was tuned to a Christian radio station. That morning, we awoke to the sad news of the plane crash and Keith Green's death. My wife and I wept. It was unlike the day John Lennon was murdered. Not that John Lennon's death wasn't tragic, but for Keith Green, many thought about his terrible loss to the body of Christ. Many at my job knew of John Lennon. There were opportunities to talk about him. But with Keith Green, none of my co-workers knew him. That day at work, some Christian friends called to see if I heard the news about Keith Green. What is burned into my memory was the first call from a friend who was in shock and shaken up by the news of Keith Green's death. She remarked, you know, if God could take him, then he can take me too, or anybody for that matter. I'd better get my house in order. What I read into that comment was, I better get my pursuits in order. I better get my pursuits in line with God's, aligned with Scripture. 
Friends, let's bring this closer to home. Are our pursuits, are my pursuits, are your pursuits just hollow pursuits, or are they holy pursuits? So perhaps this is a good place to wrap up our ponderings today in session one. Perhaps this is the premier question we should take with us and mull over and devote a little time to reassessing our personal pursuits as believers. And why I have chosen to title session one today, Are Our Pursuits Aligned with Scripture? Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're coming to the end of today's program, which will close out with an email where you may write to me and share your feedback on today's program or any other programs you've listened to. One faithful listener recently wrote in with reference to session 30 in our series, Oh, That Verse Means That, aired on September 15th, where I unpacked First Peter chapter 2, highlighting a variety of Peter's upwards and shared this comment. Another great message. I love all of the upwards. If we remember to grow up and live up and bear up, then we never have to give up because God will make up the difference in what is lacking in our lives by protecting and guiding us always. Well, thank you for your kind and encouraging comment and expressing what that program has meant to you. And remember, all podcasts of today's teaching and other teachings may be accessed at Faith Talk 13 1360.com. That's faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts and then scroll to A Word from the Word. A Word from the Word can also be accessed on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And friends, A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program, so please consider financially helping to keep this program on the air. Just email me for the details. A special thanks goes out to those of you who are faithfully helping to support the teachings you hear on A Word from the Word. Remember, you can also share these podcasts with family and friends. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.